if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to The New Chemist. We're glad you're listening. Feel free to download this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Here on The New Chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as careers, community, research, and COVID-19. We're happy you're tuning in. My guest today is Nigella Nakuna. Thanks for joining me today. It is so good to hear from you both. Just briefly, I'll inform my audience about you. Nigella Nakuna is a joint degree student at the Harvard Kennedy School and the MIT Sloan School of Management. After completing an industrial degree at Georgia Tech, it was during her time in undergrad that she rekindled her passion for serving her community through leadership. During her senior year, she served as the student body president, working on a range of issues from sexual assault on campus to higher education access for different communities. After working at Google post-undergrad, Nigella wanted to come recommit to her passion of serving others, using leadership and innovation to drive social change. In practice, Nigella is passionate about removing structural barriers and opening opportunities up for marginalized but highly talented youth. She now is focused on developing scalable solutions for social policies and designing more equitable. Hello, Mike. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank uh, you for me. yeah, no problem. So, my first question for you is what has been some of the most beneficial advice you have received? Uh, I think the most beneficial advice I've received, at least in the context of, I guess, the, the greater purpose of our discussion, which is talking about chemistry and kind of the way we interact with the world as chemists and the way that we think about the world as chemists is essentially like kind of the the advice that's pretty general, like never give up and keep on trying. If you get knocked down, you have to get back up again. And I think in the context of chemistry, this is probably the most important advice I've had because when you're doing research, most likely your experiment is not going to work. Probably out of 100 experiments you do, maybe like, depending on which exact field of chemistry you're in, like 50 of them, 70 of them, 80 of them will fail. So really for me, I think the most important thing has been being told and being affirmed that failure is normal and that you just have to keep working and try again. Yeah, I agree. That's important to persevere. So, do you have any advice for those wanting to pursue the field you are currently working in? Yeah, I would say my advice for someone who wants to be in chemistry is that they need to really seek out people who can give them guidance. Mm -hmm. I think you shouldn't wait for someone to say, 
like, let me help you. I think you have to be really proactive, kind of like you've been doing with this podcast. You're reaching out to people, you're seeing what's worked for them in their, their careers, and especially lots of chemists. You're reaching out to them, the people who have experience in the field, and you're seeing, like, what made you successful, what worked well for you. I think you really have to look around and find a mentor who can, or mentors, multiple mentors who can really help guide you in your path because there's a lot you can miss if you're trying to walk the path alone. Okay. So would you say mentorship has played a lot, played a large role in your development as a chemist? Yeah, definitely. Okay. That's good. That's good. So why did you choose chemistry as a field to major in in your undergraduate years? Yeah, so initially I chose biochemistry, which was okay. kind of motivated out of, uh, like, I, I like chemistry because it's a mixture of kind of applied science and then also fundamental science. Okay. It's called the central science often. And I chose biochemistry because I liked the, the relationship between the chemistry side and also kind of like the more medicine type side. I didn't want to be a doctor, but I thought it was really cool to see how chemistry and different like therapeutics can help the body how you can like heal humans using the knowledge of chemistry but as i progressed in my study of chemistry i got more interested in things that went beyond just like chemistry interacting with humans but just chemistry interacting with the whole world which is kind of how i shifted more towards inorganic chemistry where i was interested in how chemistry in humans using chemistry either as chemists or as people driving cars or using plastic materials, whatever it may be, interact with the world. And I really liked how inorganic chemistry could help shape the way we interact with the whole world. Okay, so what do you mean by that? Um, what, what specific ways, uh, or, or even more, to be more, even more specific, what specific area of inorganic chemistry is your research centered around? Yeah. So my interest in inorganic chemistry even surpasses just my research. I'll, I'll talk about both, I guess. Okay. In terms of like in general, inorganic chemistry, for example, like all of the plastics around us, most of them are made using inorganic catalysts. Mm -hmm. Plastics play like a huge role in our world. And this has been like our development that happened within like the several decade time span that was really important, a really important contribution from inorganic chemistry. Also, if you look at like a lot of the like industrial feedstock chemicals we have to use, like, like ammonia is one that's central to our research group because ammonia is important for fertilizer and then as a nitrogen feedstock chemical. Okay. Inorganic catalysts are like necessary for providing more ammonia for both fertilizer and feedstock applications. There's also like hydrocarbon fracking. Mm -hmm. There are all sorts of uh, different different industrial applications that really heavily rely on metal catalysts. So inorganic chemistry really appealed to me as something that spanned so many different uh, like areas of our life where we may not even realize it. Even just in your car, like your catalytic converter in your mm -hmm. car is inorganic catalysts. Yeah. Now, my own research, what's interesting, our group deals quite heavily in the nitrogen cycle, although we also look at other small molecule activations. I work for Jonas Peters at Caltech to um, provide some context. We work 
a lot in the nitrogen cycle, and I work in the conversion of ammonia and nitrogen. So our group historically studies the process where you take nitrogen mm -hmm. and you convert it to ammonia, which is called nitrogen fixation. Mm. One of the most important industrial processes, the Haber-Bosch process. Um, but recently, well, not, not even recently, for decades, there's been interest in using ammonia as fuel because ammonia is doesn't have any carbon in it. So if you use ammonia as fuel, not necessarily combust, you could also use it like a fuel cell or some other uh, application. Using ammonia as fuel would be a carbon-free fuel. And um, that's been something that people are really interested in recently because there's a lot of uh, push towards avoiding the carbon-based fuels because of concerns about global warming. But even more importantly, to me, like carbon-based fuels will run out. Like that seems to be something that's hard to debate. No matter how much people may have different perceptions on the prospects of global warming, if you use up a resource, you will run out of it. And mm -hmm. carbon-based fuels are hard to replenish. So you can either do research in replenishing carbon-based fuels, which is a really active and important area of research, or you can research alternative technologies that don't rely on the carbon-based fuels. So this could be like capturing solar energy, wind energy, any of these things, or storing that energy in different fuels, one of which could be ammonia. So that's what my research deals with, turning ammonia into nitrogen as a new carbon-free fuel. Okay, that's good. That's good. So if you had to give along the same lines of advice and career paths, how have you been able to be uh, so academically successful as a student? How, what would you attribute to your success? Or who or what process or pattern or lifestyle? Yeah, I think for this question, it's really important to acknowledge my parents because my parents, I think having two parents who were really interested in my academic success was really helpful. Both mm -hmm. of them were really involved in like, like pushing me to study and really prioritize that in my life, making that like really important for me, not, not like diminishing its importance and saying like, yeah, school's all right, but why don't you focus on like all these other activities also? Like they did let me do other activities. I played soccer my whole life. Um, I ran track when I was in high school. I did a lot of other activities, but they weren't like forcing me to do anything. They gave me the, the ability to make my own choice, mm -hmm. but they imparted how important education was, which mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for because even though I really liked soccer when I was a kid, like it's unlikely you're going to become a professional athlete, for example. Mm -hmm. So, and I also like suffered a lot of like injuries when I was doing sports mm -hmm. where that would have like had a really negative effect if I wanted to keep playing sports. So like I chose not to try to play sports in college because of injuries I had in high school. Whereas like focusing on academics because my parents made me focus so much on or didn't make me focus so much on academics, but made me realize how important it was. That was like a gift that I've been able to keep like across many different circumstances. So I think that's a really important factor in terms of making me see that it's important. 
okay. I think a lot of people, although to people like us who are like grad students or beginning their their career as a graduate student, mm-hmm. it seems like obvious that education is important. I think not everyone is of the same opinion where they don't necessarily think it's that important. Okay. And I don't think education in the, like, college education itself is the most important thing. Like, I also think it's really important to have education for, like, um, like more, like, not college education career paths. So, like, being a electrician or being a mechanic or some other, some other skill like that. I think that's also really important. And yeah. I include that also in education. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, for example, uh, like in the Bahamas, they have different paths that students can take, and one would be a strictly academic route, and there's also a pathway in which you can study at a technical and vocational institute. So yeah, both play a large role in development and providing job security and good opportunities for people to find work. So um, how do you maintain a balanced life given all your responsibilities and accomplishments? Or how are you trying to maintain a balanced life? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a kind of, I'm not a great person to ask about this because I'm <laughs> kind of, the way that I, I operate is kind of like, a, my, the, my PI, he's told me many times, like graduate school is a marathon. Yeah. But, my response to that question is that I'm a sprinter. When I was in high school, when I was in high school and I ran track, I was a sprinter. Like my mentality is always like to go fast. Yeah. So that's something I'm trying to work on a bit, like being more patient. Um, so I'm not really great with the whole balancing thing. Pretty much what I do is like I work really hard for a while, and then after that I will rest for a while. And I okay. kind of go in cycles, okay. which is a fair strategy, but maybe the marathon strategy is slightly better. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm the best sort for the question. Okay, well, it's good. It's good to, I would say this, it's good to work and to rest. And the fact, the fact that you have found a way to incorporate both into your studies is very beneficial. So um how do you maintain vision and teamwork in your environment yeah so i think that really ties in well with the last question about um maintaining a balanced life in the notion of being a sprinter versus being a marathon runner i think a really important thing is patience okay i think patience has to be like one of the most important lessons i've learned in graduate school and i think it's what is of utmost importance in maintaining vision and teamwork because when you work in a team, inevitably people are going to want to work at different rates. They're going to want to have different thoughts. They're going to want to explore different pathways. You might disagree on which pathway you want to work on. Mm -hmm. So I think really patience is really important for maintaining vision and teamwork because you need to really be patient and see where the other people on your team are coming from. Mm-hmm. You need to like really get in their shoes and see like, how are they thinking about the problem? Like yeah. what are their thoughts on the problem? Not what my thoughts are on the problem. But, like, mm-hmm. what, what are my team 
my teammates' thoughts. And in order to do that, it takes time. And that means you need to be patient with the other people to figure out, you know, what their thoughts are. Yeah, I agree. Patience is very important. It allows you to be a considerate, conscientious, and to work collaboratively and effectively with people, especially in scientific environments. So, um, along the lines of environment, um, how have you sought or found the right environment for you to thrive scientifically and or intellectually? How are you finding that environment? Or how did you find it? Yeah, I think this is really something that just takes like personal experimentation. So for me, like the right environment for me to thrive a lot of it has to do with like when I work and how I work. Mm -hmm. so, like for me, I figured out that I like to work like later at night. I'm much more effective when I'm working later at night. Mm -hmm. So being in grad school where I have a pretty flexible schedule, I've been able to make my schedule such that I can work in the hours that I'm more productive, which is usually working later at night. And uh, yeah, I, th I think that's the main thing. I, I don't really know about other factors. Maybe you have some other factors in mind that I could, that you could bring up. But. Um, so you're basically saying, you're basically saying personal experimentation, it requires some personal reflection and self-discovery and yeah. like, understanding yourself and how you fit into the environment. Yeah. So yeah. understanding how you fit in the environment is really important. And it, yeah. it takes the two factors. You have to see the environment, mm -hmm. which is one factor, but you also have to do the self-reflection, which is really important. You have to like actively ask yourself, like, is what I'm doing working? Yeah, I agree. I, I completely agree. Because, you know, I've heard different takes on this after interviewing several people, you know, um, self-discovery is important, self-reflection is important. Yes, finding a good environment is important as well, but you know, sometimes you can complement to the environment becoming what you want. You can be a change agent in that environment, um, even as a beginning beginner or a learner. Because you know, I've interviewed other people and they've stated how they have complemented to creating the environment that they wanted to see or shaping the environment in a direction or a path that was aligned with what they valued and thought to be true. So how have you been uh, adaptive and creative in the field of science? What specific ways or areas have you been adaptive or creative in science? Yeah, I think this question, I can't say that I'm necessarily adaptive and creative. What I'll say is that there's nothing new under the sun. Okay. I think the most adaptive and creative things I've been able to do that may seem adaptive or creative, I think come from looking very vigorously at what's already known. Okay. So in the context of chemistry, there's, there are so many papers that have been published over, like, say, the last 200 years. Mm -hmm. And there's been so much research by so many people. And oftentimes, small paths of investigation get forgotten because at that point in time, it wasn't clear how the different paths connected with one another. Mm -hmm. But if you look from our modern perspective now and you look really deeply and you say, I saw like all these different paths that people were researching at different points in time, and now seeing all of them together at this current time, I see a link between them. I think finding that link between 
maybe these old threads of investigation is really an important thing that can be overlooked. A lot of times it's more exciting to try to find something brand new, but it's easy to find something new and creative from what's already known. So you have to really dig into what's known in the primary literature and has been my experience in my Yeah, I agree because, you know, many times, it, many times people want to, or some persons may want to work on something that's novel or come up with something that's novel. But as you look back on previous literature, um, whether it be in a discipline in chemistry or a discipline in science in general, as you look back at previous literature, you can gain insight that can complement you um, doing an experiment better or adjusting some type of parameter within the experiment. So yeah, I do agree. That is very important. Um, so how do you maintain a view of the bigger picture in your career and in your life in general? Yeah, I think this question gets at one's worldview. Okay. So my personal worldview is that I'm a Christian and I have faith in Jesus. And for me, that's been, it's kind of a freeing thing because maintaining the bigger picture in my life, that is the bigger picture for me. So I'm not tied to like being a perfect scientist or like being a new hero of scientists, like trying to be the new Einstein or whatever your favorite scientist may be. Yeah, like, I agree. Like, I don't, like, although I do like to try to, like, strive for perfection, if mm -hmm. I fail, that's not a problem. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't need to be perfect to, like, redeem my life. I just need to do my best and as part of my personal like philosophy, which I think is tied to Christianity, trying to be the best version of yourself and leave the world better than yes. you found it. Yeah. I think that um, even though that is my goal, if I fail, it's not, it's okay because I don't need to be the best in order to be, to be doing my part. I just need to, I don't need to be successful. I just need to be really doing my very best and doing it with. Yeah, I agree. Because, you know, my worldview is based on my, my Christian faith as well. And, you know, um, my understanding is, you know, as we progress and as we move along, we try and get better day by day. It's a journey. So you don't have to, like, arrive or be some perfect person. So at the end of the day, we're, we're gradually becoming better. So, yeah, that... that it does play a large role. A faith perspective does play a large role. So as we conclude, what have been your longstanding interests in the field of science? If you had to summarize it in like two or three sentences, what have been your longstanding interests in the field of science? I think now one of my longstanding interests is uh, like conversion of fuel, like making a way for us to power our planet in a way that is better than our current systems. Okay. And this relates to like one of, it, it's longstanding in the fact that when I was a kid, one of my dreams was to have a Lotus Exige, this like fancy kind of niche sports car. Okay. But as I grew up, I came to see that I, I felt like a bad environmental steward if I were to buy a car that has 10 miles per gallon 
fuel efficiency. Okay. So now I feel like I need to be working on like, I still want a sports car, but yeah. I don't want to be a bad steward of the environment. Yeah, I understand. It's, Just... it's, it's beyond that. This is kind of like a, like a trivial example and somewhat of a joke, but uh-huh. I think it's true. We want to maintain our lifestyle, but we want to be good steward of, stewards of the environment. Yes. How can we do that if we don't have technology that will allow us to do both? We, yeah. we, can't, do, we can't do both equally in our, the current state of our, our world. Mm-hmm. And our future generations won't be able to do it if there is no more fuel. So I, I see that as like a really, really important problem. Okay, that's good, man. That's very good. Thanks again for joining me today, Mike. It was good to have you here. Yeah, it was really good to see you, and it was nice. Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is The New Chemist, where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research, and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I. Um, I think that the way, so I was really blessed to have, and I'll say this about him forever, a really incredible vice president that I ran with. Shane Madrinich. He is such a kind, um, thoughtful person. Um, And I was able to be creative in how we defined our roles and specifically to adapt to the changing times. It was during the 2016 election and a lot of the work that I did ended up being very externally focused to the school. You know, it did affect students' lives, but the work was more about more on policy changes in the state, um, national changes that were happening at the time, voting efforts and registration efforts and getting out the vote for students at that time. Um, and the way, the way he took on the work in a way that I was able to focus outside of the school while also focusing on the things that affected our students, but okay. in a more external way, that, I mean, that was one of the reasons why I applied to public policy school in the first place. Um, because I was able to get that experience, but also get a taste of what that work looked like in the real world. Um, and so I'm sure you might see other presidents now, especially have very internal roles because of the pandemic. You're focusing on how we can help students in a very transaction, not transactional in a poor in a negative sense, but in a very transactional, tangible way, because the work is very proximate to the students. Whereas my work might not have been as proximate to student life, but it did affect it and it did have a huge impact. So things like mental health were one of our core internal initiatives, but a lot of our external initiatives were around sexual assault and and immigration and, um, and gun laws. So I, I think that 
was very different and it didn't look like that in the many years that I, in the maybe subsequent years. Um, but, you know, I think creativity is needed all the time. And I think you can still go about implementing creative methods in a structured way because I am <laughs> very structured. I'm not as, my twin sister is very creative in the general sense of the word. Um, but I, I don't want people to sort of shy away from that. I think it's a really good question to be able to think through if you have a process, how can you affect, like you said, the little changes here in a creative and innovative way that produce a different output. Yeah, I agree. So um, in terms of, I, this is a question that I, I think would be uh, it's very interesting. In terms of your transition from Georgia Tech mm -hmm. to Harvard University, Yes. Why the transition and what, what appealed to you in terms of your application? What, what made you make the switch? So I was, um, I was in California working okay. at Google. Um, I'd actually applied to public policy school. I graduated in December, so I applied my last semester. Um, but I also applied to many different programs, business school programs, you know, deferred admissions programs, a few tech and policy programs, um, because I didn't know, like we were talking about earlier, I didn't know what I wanted to do <laughs> long term. Yeah, yeah. I just, I had a job lined up. It was great. I liked it. I liked the role. Um, but I sort of was still a little bit confused about what I would do long term or sort of what my calling was. Yeah. Um, but I knew after my presidency, I say that colloquially, uh, that <laughs> my student body presidency, that I kind of liked this policy thing, right? Seemed okay. a little fun, seemed interesting, but not enough to make it a career. Yeah. Um, I went to California and I spent a couple of years out there and a couple personal things happened. But in addition to that, I saw where the world was going. I saw where our nation was going. And then I saw the bubble that is Silicon Valley almost. It's um, not in a bad way, but people definitely, you don't have to think about the rest of the United States. You know, they almost have their own economy going, okay. all about building the next product. Um, and it seemed to me almost like a silo within the United States. And I remember one day, my manager had asked me because I was following Georgia politics very heavily is when Stacey Abrams was running for governor. Um, and there were a bunch of abortion laws or anti-abortion laws being passed. And my manager at worst asked, work asked me how I was doing. And um, I said, well, I decided to sort of answer honestly, given what I had been reading about that morning. And I said, well, not so great, actually. I'm seeing I'm very, I'm pro-choice. I don't, okay. people know this and <laughs> maybe it doesn't appeal to everyone, but, um, you know, I said there's a lot of really stringent abortion laws being passed right now, now in different states around our country. And he looked at me and sort of gaped at me that I would give that answer. And um, they said, well, my partner isn't pregnant, so we haven't worried about that yet. And I went, oh my gosh, like your partner doesn't have to be pregnant for you to worry about that. You could just worry about that because it's important to people around the world. And that's when I knew that I needed to accept <laughs> my offer to go because I think that I, 
that was not the place for me to do that work, right? And that's not to say that the company doesn't care about doing that work, but I think that I knew that I needed to be in a space where I could advocate for people in the way that was most comfortable. And maybe corporate America is not the place to bring that up. I know that. Um, But I'm also a very blunt and authentic person wherever I go. Um, And so I wanted to be able to do that in whatever field of work I chose. Okay, that's very important in terms of, you know, advocating for people and making sure that you reflect your authentic self. So, Nigella, you know, um, I also have, as we wrap up, I have one more question for you. How would you say, if you were to give, I have two more questions for you, actually. (laughs) So, um, if you were to give a suggestion or give a recommendation to building community and solidarity within the African diaspora Mm. um, in terms of people of color, building community within ourselves. You know, a house divided against itself cannot stand, as many people have heard. Uh, What would you suggest? About building community within the larger African diaspora? Yeah, Caribbean, as well as African-Americans. And how, what would you suggest? Will be your first suggestion i want us to be able to have open and difficult discussions okay. um i think mental health is a discussion that we need to be able to talk about openly yes i agree um and then i think we've made a lot of progress in this area especially and i think art really mirrors life especially in the divide that maybe once existed between Um, Africans from the continent who maybe have moved here Mm. and Africans who were against their will brought here. Okay. Um, And having that discussion Mm. and and coming together as a community and sharing our different lived experiences but also are very much culture that is the same exactly um and i think those are two big conversations that i really want to be open about and you know it's something my family's working on it's something i think a lot of families are working on Mm. Um, but being open about you know things like ptsd i just finished a 25 day push-up challenge to talk about ptsd and mental wellness Um, and and things like that those are two big discussion topics that i want to become you know, seen as normal in the African diaspora and the larger community. Yeah, you know, those things are very important. Mental health is so important. You know, many times uh, it's not always talked about because some people consider it uh, to be, or sometimes there's a stigma associated with it. But mental health is so important. Um, I think mental health, spiritual wellness, um, physical wellness, uh, all those things. I think health is not just within the physical body, but it involves all different parameters, mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, all those things comprise what it means to be a healthy and a whole person. So my last question for you, what is the most beneficial advice you have received? If you had to give one example of the most beneficial advice you have received, what is that? Give and take advice that is meant for you and not meant for that person. Okay. And that is how I 
I think that's, I don't want, I don't, it's really hard for me to categorize all the great advice I've been given, but that's one of the top ones. When you're mm -hmm. giving advice to other people, mm -hmm. make sure that it is very much targeted for them and mm -hmm. not based, can be based off of your life experiences, but not rooted in what you perceive to be the advice you wish you had gotten, but really that advice that is best for that person at that time. And in the same way, accept advice and feedback and criticism that is meant for you and not meant for what that person hopes you will do. Um, that's very much mirrored around Brene Brown's um, talk about being vulnerable mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, not taking advice from people in the cheap seats you know, people who aren't willing to be vulnerable with their life and mm -hmm. take chances and take risks, um, but taking advice from people who are willing to do that work and want to see you grow and actually giving advice in that same spirit too. Yeah. That's one of the top pieces of things I always recommend. And then the second one, which I know can also be seen as a privilege statement, but I really, I think it's so important is making career decisions based off of your values yeah don't go for a career because you just because you think it'll pay you a lot of money mm -hmm. or it'll make you you know powerful or successful you want to go for a job that will both be able to help you be self-sufficient mm -hmm. but also aligns with your values as a human because mm -hmm. you will not be able to thrive in any environment that does in a place that has starkly different core virtues than you. Yeah. Yeah, um, I and I think that's so important. I got that advice from my parents and it's always stuck with me. Okay, that's good. Thank you so much Nijala for coming on today. It has been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is The New Chemist, where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research, and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I. Thank you.